the views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is an encore presentation of The Rick Edelman Show. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. And a very happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. I hope you had lots of turkey on Thursday and had a fabulous time with family and friends. For this holiday weekend, I gave the team the weekend off, and so presenting for you some of our favorite phone calls covering the broad spectrum of topics that we cover every week for you here on the program. Taxes, investments, mortgages, insurance, college planning, retirement planning, buying houses, leasing cars. And if you need help, you can call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. That's 888-752-6742. Call us on Monday. And you can also go right now to rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Let's go to the phones on the Rick Edelman Show. Off to Chantilly, Virginia. Keith is on the air. How are you doing, Keith? Hi. How are you, Rick? Doing great. Thank you so much. What can I do for you today? Well, I've got a question about mortgages and paying them down. And I've followed you for years. And I've pretty well followed your advice. Re- refinanced a couple of times since the early 90s. Um, currently, I'm about eight years into a 30-year mortgage with a 3.875 rate, and I have a lot of cash on hand that I had considered paying off the mortgage with, about 175000 left on the mortgage, um, and I would, if I were to do that, I'd still have plenty of cash for emergency purposes. And I kind of thought of it as about a sort of somewhat similar to a, you know, a 3.8% return on, on my cash. But it just occurred to me now I can actually refinance for somewhere in the 2 to 2.5% range. And I was wondering if it makes sense to yet again refinance the mortgage to another 30-year mortgage. How long do you plan to stay in the house? At this point, we don't have any plan to move. Okay. You said that the mortgage is 175000 What's the value of the house? Probably somewhere around 800 right now. And you said that if you, you had plenty of cash to pay that off, you've got hundred seventy five grand in cash. How much total cash do you have? Probably something like 500 And how much other money do you have in savings and investments? Uh. Probably still hiding out in 401ks and whatnot, probably about another two to two and a half million. Okay. How old are you? Uh, 65 today, as a matter of fact. Oh, well, happy birthday, Keith. I'm so excited to talk to you on your birthday. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, how much money do you and your wife spend on a monthly basis? All in, everything. Oh, I've been working on that number for quite a while to figure out. And maybe about twelve thousand a month. Are you still working? I am. How long do you plan to keep working? Oh, maybe for another year. Okay. 
And then we have on federal, so I've got pension. My wife has a pension. We both will have, obviously, Social Security. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, you're in excellent financial condition. Congratulations. Uh, you have achieved the American dream of financial independence. You get the applause of the day. So good for you. And therefore, you have a choice between the greater of the goods. In other words, you are not about to make a bad decision here. So there's pressure's off. You can't blow it. There's no wrong move you can make. You can do either pay off the mortgage or refinance the mortgage. Either one is a good idea. You're a candidate for both. It's personal preference. Uh, You can certainly pay off the mortgage. That'll lower your monthly expenses. It'll save you the cost of the loan at 2.7%, equivalent to what a refi would cost you today. Since interest rates are so very low, you got half a million in cash earning zero point nothing. That would be a net savings to you. Life would be a little more simplistic with the absence of the mortgage payment. So no problem getting rid of the loan. You can afford it. The fact that you would have $800,000 tied up in the walls of your house, so what? You got another $2.5 million in investments. You can do that, no problem. On the other hand, it is inefficient to do that, uh, what I just described, because you've got eight hundred grand in the walls of your house, debt equity, not earning any interest. The house is going to rise or fall in value regardless of the fact that the home is paid for. You've got two and a half million in investments. Let me ask you this: What rate of return do you expect that two and a half million to earn on an average annual return over the next twenty years? Well, I'm very conservative about my guessing on that. So I usually run uh, something like five or six percent, maybe even four percent on occasion. Okay, fine. So let's use that number of five percent. The loan is two point seven. Wouldn't it be exciting to borrow money at 2.7 so that you can invest at 4? Yeah. You're making 1.3% for free in your scenario, right? That's right, yeah. And you have the liquidity of the money at all times should you ever need it. So we could argue economically, investment management-wise, that maintaining the mortgage is the smarter, more profitable course of action. But that assumes that the house will go up in value. It assumes the investments will go up in value. It assumes you won't need uh, any other resources anywhere else, that you have the money to pay for the mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. So like I said, in your case, you can do either one. You're not making a bad decision either way. Uh, Different people in different circumstances, I would be more insistent that they choose one path or the other. But for you, you can choose either course of action, whatever you and your wife would prefer. Yeah. Great. Me, I would choose the mortgage route, but that's just me. Yeah. We moved into the house in 92, and I've kind of kept on doing that. People are pretty reluctant, though, to keep refinancing. (laughs) But I kind of consider it money buried in a box in the backyard, I guess, is the way I look at money in a house. Yeah. So talk about it with your wife. You might want to meet with a financial advisor to review all the numbers together to confirm your circumstances and your strategy. Uh, That'll give you a greater level of confidence that the choice you're selecting is the one that's best for you. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, your advice. Keith, thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate it. That was Keith and Chantilly here on the Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick. That's what he dialed. You can do it too. Triple H, Plan Rick. 
Let's take another telephone call here on the Rick Edelman Show. Head off to John. He's in Denver. Welcome to the show, John. How you doing? Hi, Rick. Uh, I'm doing well. How can I help? Uh, I'm 26, and I'm starting to fund my retirement account. And I'm not going to be touching the money for 40-plus years. So is there anything wrong with funding 100% stocks for the first 10 years and then like changing my contributions over time to make sure that the account balance changes as I get closer to retirement? Yes, there is something wrong with what you just said, John. Uh, you said the notion uh, at age 26 of putting 100% of your money into stocks for the next 10 years. Yes, you're wrong. You should be doing it for the next 30 years, not 10. In other words, you're absolutely correct. Okay. Since you have a very long time horizon, we know that historically the stock market has always been the uh, asset class that has produced the highest rates of return, real estate, bonds, gold, oil, you name it, uh, the stock market has always produced the highest returns, but it's also the highest risk of all of those asset classes as well. Uh, risk and reward go hand in hand, and uh, that means volatility. But so what? Um, over 30 years, you can ignore volatility uh, on a day-by-day basis. And besides, you're not going to be investing in a single lump sum. You're going to be investing slowly over time. You know, if you're doing this in your retirement account at work, with every paycheck, you're making another contribution, another purchase of shares. So you will be doing something called dollar cost averaging, which smooths out the volatility in a way that serves your best interests. So you're absolutely right, John. You should be investing at your age 100% of your contributions into stocks, stock funds, uh, and you should do so, I think, not just for 10 years, but well into your 50s, uh, or even by the time you get there, probably into your 60s. Uh, over time, uh, as you get closer to using the money as you are retired, then yeah, you're right. You want to reduce your equity exposure and move into safer asset classes. But I wouldn't worry about that for 30 or 40 years. Perfect. Thank you. Um, If I have time, can I ask one other question? Sure. Um, So right now I'm trying to decide whether to do traditional or uh, Roth, uh, both IRA and 401k. So is the simplest calculation just the money saved now from deferred taxes, like times the growth? versus how much taxes I'm going to be paying when I'm withdrawing? No. Uh, The calculation is simply based on your current tax bracket. That's it. And the reason is we can't predict what future tax brackets are going to be. I mean, by the time you reach retirement in your 60s, 70s, et cetera, we don't know what the tax rate's going to be 50, 60 years from now. So we can't speculate. We have to assume that future rate will be the same as today's rate. So the only thing that we can look at is your current tax rate. And the general uh, attitude is if you're in a 15% tax bracket or less, the Roth is a better deal. But if you're in a higher bracket than that, you should use the deductible. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thanks for your time. John, I appreciate your phone call. And the fact that you are focused on these issues at your age is going to serve you extraordinarily well over the course of your life. So congratulations, John. Yeah, thank you. And congrats on the retirement. Oh, well, you're very welcome. I appreciate that very much. And uh, that's sentimental, though. Retirement isn't quite the right word for it, but I appreciate the thought very much. Thank you. That was John in Denver here on The Rick Edelman Show. He called 888-PLAN-RICK. You can, too. author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
take a phone call here on the Rick Edelman Show. Head to Charlotte. Mike is with us on the air. Welcome to the show, Mike. How are you? Hey, Rick. Good. Just wanted to say I've listened to you for a lot of years, and you gave me a lot to think about. And I, I want to thank you. All right, Mike, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. What can I do for you? Well, actually, we caught one of your shows, and on the last part of the show, you spoke about the 29 pieces of financial advice, and number 13 was do not convert an IRA to a Roth. And I wanted to know why shouldn't we? It seemed like a good idea. It might work for us. Uh, Well, it might work for you, um, but it doesn't work for most people. So I'm glad you're asking about it. It's a very common uh, subject. Uh, What Mike is referring to, by the way, was the 29th anniversary show that we did here on the program, uh, celebrating our 29th anniversary of the Rick Edelman show. Uh, And um, and if you heard us earlier in the program, uh, you know that there's not going to be a 30th anniversary of the show as this program is winding down uh, with its last broadcast uh, sometime this fall. Um, in the program, I ended it by offering the 29 top pieces of advice that I've provided over the past 29 years here on the show. And number 13, as Mike says, is do not convert your IRA to the Roth. Um, and, and Mike, I'm not at all surprised that you're asking about it because it's a very common question that people have. For some reason, a lot of folks think that they ought to do it. Uh, in fact, I'm going to throw the question to you. You tell me why you're intrigued with this idea or, or suspicious that converting is a good thing for you. Tell me what your motivation is. Okay, well, I've been prepared for that, Rick. Uh, what it is is I wouldn't do it this year because I just took a voluntary separation from my company. So this year, I'm going to make $100,000 for doing nothing. Plus, well, my wife and I are doing some part-time work, and we're probably going to make 50000 from that. Okay. So this is pushing us up into like the 24% bracket. However, next year, I have oh, about $280,000 saved in my Vanguard account. So I can just take that saving. So basically, if I take uh, 80000 or so, I'm in a 12% bracket. So I could take 80000 out of my 401k, convert that to a Roth, and really have a very low tax consequence. So that's my, my thinking, is live, live off my savings for a while and convert that 401k money to Roth with only a 12% tax burden. Okay, I like your thinking. I like that uh, a lot. And so you, like I said, this idea might work for you, but it doesn't work for most folks. And you've managed it and, and analyzed it effectively. And so uh, congratulations. I like how you did that. And you're really explaining to everybody why it doesn't make sense for most people, which is why I, I have that as rule number 13. Here's what it comes down to. Uh, when uh, the reason I often hear people telling me that they want to convert their IRA to the Roth is that everybody knows that withdrawals from the Roth IRA are tax-free. And so people say, Rick, why? if I withdraw money from my IRA, i got to pay taxes. But if I withdraw it from a Roth IRA, it's tax-free. So I'm going to move the money from my IRA to the Roth IRA. And what they don't understand is that the act of conversion is considered a distribution from the IRA fully taxable. And that throws them into the highest tax bracket with a massive distribution in a single year, ruining the whole point. In other words, you're either going to pay the tax now by converting, or you're going to pay the tax later when you withdraw the money from the IRA. And my attitude is, why pay a tax now you don't have to pay when you can pay it later when you probably in retirement will be in a lower tax bracket than you are today? So that is why, generally speaking, the Roth conversion doesn't help. And when you do the math, assuming... Everything is equal, meaning the rate of return is equal and the tax rate is equal. Converting to the Roth does not increase your wealth. 
it, it's a wash. It makes no difference. The only way you make a benefit is if you can incur the tax today on the conversion at a lower tax rate than your future tax rate is going to be. And that's why I say if you're in a 15% bracket or less, conversion could work. And that's what you said. You're in a 12% bracket by your math. Right. If I can stay, you know, if I can take uh, anything 80,000 and under, because it's a married couple filing jointly, so the tax bracket there is 12% up to about 80,000. And that's the key. In other words, you've got to watch very carefully to make sure that the amount you withdraw from your IRA isn't so much that it kicks you into a higher bracket. Yep, yep, because after that, it's like a 22%, then you go into a 24%. So, yeah, this year it makes no sense at all. It would just, you know, kick me into the one of the higher brackets. So if you can make a withdrawal and stay in a low tax bracket, then sure, go ahead. I agree with you. Makes sense. But for most people, they don't have that privilege because of their income and tax scenario. And therefore, for most people, the Roth conversion is not a good idea. Yeah, well, I worked hard and I saved, so uh, I'm going to take advantage of that. Mike, uh, congratulations. Good for you. And I appreciate your uh, call and letting me clarify the whole thing for you. Well, thanks, Rick. And I don't know what you're going to go on and do, but uh, the best of luck to you. Uh, I appreciate that very much. We'll have lots of announcements about our future uh, in weeks to come here on the program. We're very excited, and we are uh, hopeful that you and, and everyone else will be along for the ride. Great. That was Mike in Charlotte here on the Rick Edelman Show. You can do what he did. Call us, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at rickedelman.com. Let's stay on the phones and talk with Diane in Columbia, Maryland. Hi, Diane. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rick. How are you doing today? Thanks for taking my call. Doing terrific. Thanks so much. How can I help you? Okay. So my husband and I, were both recent retirees. Um, he, a real estate agent myself, a former teacher, and we live in Columbia, Maryland. He wants to move to Delaware, we, where we purchased another home three years ago, um, and he loves it because there's no taxes. Of course, everybody says that about Delaware. No taxes, it's great. Um, but apparently, also, I had heard that Delaware doesn't tax part of a pension, which I do have. Um, I'm a holdout as I'm not as crazy about Delaware as he is. So I'm wondering if you think Delaware is all that. If you don't like Delaware, don't move to Delaware. <laughs> as simple as that, right, Rick? <laughs> yeah, it's as simple as that. I mean, this is just silly. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, if Sure, lowering your taxes is wonderful. Living in a place that allows you to do that is something people often do. I, I think it's a law. If you live in New York, upon retirement, you have to move to Florida because um, everybody does. Right, right. Uh, and Florida, uh, people love to go to Florida because they have a low tax uh, environment in Florida. But people love the weather. People love living in Florida. It's not just the taxes. It's an added incentive. Texas is a tax-free state. So is Nevada. There are a lot of tax-free states and low-tax states. A lot of people exiting California, one of the highest-taxed states, and exiting New Jersey and New York, other high-tax states, because there's a motivation to go elsewhere. But it's not just the taxes. The taxes might cause you to leave where you live, but that doesn't mean you have to go to a certain place. And if you're going to be miserly, if you're going to make the move only because of taxes, and you're going to be miserable while you're in your new location, well, I think that's a bad deal. You're right. I am. I hate the sun. <laughs> There's too much sun there. <laughs> you and your husband have to have a real serious uh, conversation, uh, and you need to be honest and open with him. Yeah. Now you sound like a psychiatrist. Thank you. <laughs> oh, 
you sound good. I like the question. I like what you're saying to me. Uh, well, I, I don't know if it's psychiatry or family therapy or whatever, but I'll tell you, it's, and I'm none of the above, I hasten to add, but we encounter enough circumstances with working with our clients that, as my wife Jean likes to say, personal finance is more personal than finance. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So you and your husband need to have a serious, calm conversation Yeah. <laughs> where you each consider the other's concerns goals and objectives because the ultimate goal is the achievement of happiness not lowering taxes yes thank you uh i just love what you said <laughs> well i'm not sure your husband will but you will find that out when you chat with him no i know he won't and if necessary diane have him call me too hey great that's nice thank you i appreciate it very much sure thing i wish you the very best Thanks. Have a nice day. <laughs> you too. That was Diane in Columbia, Maryland, here on the Rick Edelman Show, Triple Eight Plan Rick. And if you've got a question about your circumstances, call us at Triple Eight Plan Rick. My colleagues and I here at Edelman Financial Engines will get your phone call. We will answer your questions. I'll hook you up with a colleagues in my office that you need to talk with to make sure you're getting the advice and information you need. Triple Eight Seven Five Two Sixty Seven Forty Two online at rickedelman.com. doesn't come with instructions. More of your questions coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. to the Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK. Got a question for me? Send it to askrick at rickedelman.com. Record your voice on your smartphone. That's what Derek did. Hey, Rick. This is Derek from Washington. My question is, what are your thoughts on getting life insurance versus mortgage insurance? I'm 34 years old, married with two young kids. I work in law enforcement. My wife works full-time as well. Given my career choice, I want to make sure my wife and kids are taken care of should something happen to me. One of the biggest ways to do that is to make sure they can stay in the house we currently live in. Our mortgage is currently about $550,000 with a current market value of nearly 900000 so we do have some equity in it. What are your feelings on getting mortgage insurance to ensure it gets paid off should the worst happen versus getting life insurance? Also, does mortgage insurance payout adjust to the current mortgage note due, or does it stay at a fixed amount? Thanks again, Rick. Love the show and everything you do. Sad to see you leave, but happy for your next phase. Thanks again. Derek, thanks so much for your dedication and service to the community. You definitely need life insurance. Uh, recognize that mortgage insurance is life insurance. It simply pays the mortgage off instead of giving a check to your wife. And that's why we're not really big fans of mortgage insurance. I don't want your wife to be forced to pay off the mortgage. She might have more urgent or valuable uses for the money than that. Let her just continue making the mortgage payment. That's what counts. Provide her the money she needs to be able to do that. Paying off the mortgage isn't something that's necessarily essential. And another problem, because of the way it's marketed, mortgage insurance costs a lot more than life insurance, simply from a marketing advertising strategy. So no, forget about mortgage insurance. Life insurance is the way to go. And you want to make sure you have a sufficient amount of life insurance for your wife and family that will be sufficient for them to be able to maintain their lifestyle and provide financial security. 
Now, one key element here, because you are in law enforcement, you might find it difficult to buy life insurance because of the risk of your occupation, or you may discover that the policy won't pay a benefit if you should be killed in the line of duty. So talk with the life insurance companies to see if they will provide you coverage despite your occupation, or if they might carve out the cause of death accordingly, and also go talk to your union and see what is available through them, because this issue is faced by firefighters and police officers and and many who work in risky occupations. So the opportunity for buying life insurance exists. You might end up having to pay a little more for it than other folks, but definitely go about it as best you can. And I think you'll discover that life insurance is better for your wife and lower cost for everybody. That was Derek in Washington, D.C. Anytime a financial question strikes you, just record it on your smartphone. Send it to askrick at rickedelman.com. Let's jump to the phones here on the Rick Edelman Show off the Jupiter, Florida. Hey, Dorothy, what can I do for you? Well, um, I am an experienced investor, and I have accumulated a substantial portfolio. Now all the hype about Bitcoin and various cyber currencies has me concerned and very confused. This news is scary for the future of investing by normal investors, many of whom do not understand the concept. We did not grow up with the idea of cyber currencies, and we're never taught about it. Word is that soon we will have to use credit cards to pay for everything as the dollar is being replaced by digital currencies and that the dollar will lose value big time. Banks may not handle dollars anymore, but will only offer crypto accounts. Now, my question is, should we ignore all the noise and continue to hold our current portfolio as is, or should we be concerned and move our cash out now? Help. What should we do? Sit tight or fight? Uh, Dorothy, I'm really glad you called and, and you're expressing the concern that a lot of folks have, which is why I'm spending so much time talking about Bitcoin and digital assets and blockchain here on the show to help people get the understanding and education necessary. And that's the key word where we want to start is education. Once you learn about these technologies, which isn't all that difficult to do, uh, you begin to realize that this isn't something to fear. This isn't scary. It's actually a simple improvement over the way we've been operating in the past. Uh, We've been moving toward a digital society for the past 50 years. Uh, most of us are using credit cards and debit cards. Most of us are paying our bills online. We're shopping online. Most of us are receiving our paychecks and our social security checks from via direct deposit. So we're already living our lives online in a financial way. Uh, and digital currency, taking our U.S. dollar and making it a digital dollar, is just another extension of that. There's nothing to fear, nothing to be scared about. And at the same time, I don't believe you're going to see the elimination of paper money either, at least not for a long time. They'll exist side by side, whether you deal with a dollar in your pocket or a dollar in your telephone as a digital dollar, I think it'll be the same dollar. The fact that one exists in paper and the other one exists digitally will have the same value. It's not going to have any impact there. In fact, many people argue it'll increase the stability of the dollar because it'll be easily used on a global basis more easily than currently is available. So I don't think you need to worry about it. I don't think you need to alter your investment strategy at all. You can consider, if you want, 
to add to your portfolio digital assets, but don't feel that you need to. Don't feel that it's essential. Don't feel that you are at risk if you don't. In fact, you could argue the exact opposite, that you are taking risk if you do. So you can you can sit on the sidelines with all of this, Dorothy, and not have to worry about any of it. You don't have to give it much attention at all um, if you don't want to. Not a concern. Well, will the current portfolio that I have in regular investments and, uh, you know, at the brokerage, uh, will they lose value or will they be affected by the fact that they're in dollars rather than in, in cyber currency? No, there's no difference. In fact, one of the reasons that people say they like the idea of digital assets is that they are uncorrelated, which is a fancy way of saying they're not related in other words, when you have a stock, does gold have any impact on the value of your stock? No, not at all. They're totally different assets. And the same thing is true with Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't have anything to do with the stock market okay. or the bond market or oil or gold or real estate. They are totally separate and distinct. So if some people are out there buying Bitcoin, that doesn't have any impact on you at all. It's sort of like saying you're going to go to dinner. But somebody else is going to go bowling. If they go bowling, does that have any impact on your dinner? Not at all. Well, if you have a portfolio, can you set it up by purchasing the entire portfolio uh, to begin with, with Bitcoin? If you wanted to, you could own Bitcoin as part of your portfolio. But as of today, you can't use Bitcoin to buy um, stocks and bonds. You still use the dollar. How does that convert to Bitcoin then? Have you ever gone to a casino? Yes. When you go into the casino and you gamble, you don't use dollars, do you? No. You convert your dollars to casino chips. Yes. And when you're finished, you convert the chips back to dollars, right? Okay. That's the same thing with Bitcoin. If you want to buy Bitcoin, you trade your dollars for Bitcoin and later, you trade your Bitcoin back to dollars. Is there any advantage to one or the other as an account? Well, Bitcoin is very, very volatile. It is very unpredictable. Uh, nobody knows what the future will hold. And you should treat it like a lottery ticket. Okay. Your dollar is backed by the U.S. government. It has a stable value. Uh, and it is much more secure. So there's really a huge difference between having a dollar or having a dollar's worth of Bitcoin? Yeah, well, that was my question. Which is better? Which is, uh, is it one more uh, prosperous than the other? Well, Bitcoin has the potential to uh, rise in value, right. but it also has the equal potential of falling in value. Well, are they going to start teaching about cyber uh, currencies in the schools? They already are. More than half of the nation's uh, top universities already teach courses in digital assets and blockchain. Uh -huh. And we expect that our nation's school systems will eventually begin doing that as well. well can you recommend anything for us older people to uh, study or to you know, read or whatever to learn more? Clearly, this is now mainstream. That is why I've just written my 11th book, The Truth About Crypto. The book will be published by Simon & Schuster in May. 
You can already pre-order the book at Amazon and your favorite booksellers, and I'm really excited about it. It will give you the information you need to understand this technology and its role in business, and if you are so inclined to pursue investments in it, understanding the investment opportunities, the investment thesis, what are the different ways you can proceed, and how can you work with your financial advisor to help make sure you don't get yourself into trouble. Just go to Amazon or go to your favorite bookseller and type in the word Bitcoin and you'll see a list of books on the subject. Okay. So you feel that my portfolio is okay if I just keep it as is and not make any um, make big moves out of that portfolio? In terms of Bitcoin and digital assets, you don't have to give that any thought in terms of your investment portfolio. They're totally separate conversations. Okay, that gives me some peace of mind. Thank you very much. Dorothy, I'm glad you called. I'm glad I did too. That was Dorothy in Jupiter, Florida, here on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at rickedelman.com. author of the New York Times bestseller, Discover the Wealth Within You, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Hope you're having a very happy, wonderful holiday season. Let's take a question from Steve. And he sent me his question via his smartphone. Here's his audio recording that he sent to askrick at rickedelman.com. Hi, Rick. This is Steve from northern New Jersey. You frequently talk about the dangers of relying on historical data when picking investments. That raises an obvious question. How do you and your advisors pick investments if you don't rely on historical data? For example... Morningstar lists several hundred U.S. large-cap growth funds, uh, mutual funds or ETFs. How would you pick a specific fund with so many choices? Thanks. Yeah, it's a conundrum, isn't it, with with 13,000 mutual funds out there and many thousands of ETFs. Uh, how do you pick if you're not going to do it based on past performance? Well, the, the key phrase there, Stephen, is that we aren't relying on past performance. We're certainly looking at past performance, but we're not making an investment decision based solely on that. And that's the danger that I was warning against. If you look at the Morningstar ratings, you know, those five stars, that's a performance rating. And that's it. That's all that it is. And you should never, as it says on page one of every prospectus you've never read, past performance does not guarantee future results. What that means is that you can't assume that a fund that did well in the past is going to do well in the future. So don't buy a five-star fund merely because it's five stars. That's a historical analysis, not a predictive fortune-telling scenario. So what do we look at then? Sure, we look at past performance. I want to see how a fund did relative to its peers in a given series of timeframes. I want to know how it did in a variety of economic conditions. Don't tell me that a fund did well in the past few years because every fund did well in the past few years. How did it do in 08? How did it do during the crash of 87 if it somehow existed way back when? How is it done during a variety of different economic environments? Because I want to get a sense of what I might be able to expect 
based on the way the fund manages its money. And that's another key criteria. What is the investment thesis that the fund uses? What is its strategy? I will then look at the fund management, the manager turnover. How long has the manager been with this fund? Because if it's got a an old fund but a new manager, that makes it a new fund because the new manager is going to do things without regard to the old manager. I want to look at turnover. How often does the fund buy and sell stocks within the portfolio? Is it buying and selling with a great deal of frequency or does it tend to have a more of a long-term buy and hold? The more often it trades, that's the more it's engaging in market timing. And the more often it trades, the higher the expenses are going to be because all that trading increases costs. So we look at turnover as well. We want to look especially at fees because we want to recognize that the more you pay for your fund, the lower the profits are end up going to be enjoying. So there's a huge array of factors, probably an even lot more that I haven't off the top of my head thought of. Maybe on a future show, I'll devote a little more time and attention to the various factors that go into security selection within a portfolio. But no, it is not past performance that you should be relying on when picking your investments. I'm Rick Edelman. Time now for everybody's favorite segment, a visit by my wife, Jean Edelman. Jean has a degree in consumer economics and nutrition, an expert in macrobiotic cooking. And this week, as we are in the holiday season, Jean has a very personal message for us. It's good to be here, and I am again going inwards and going to share something personal with everyone this week. What I wanted to share is how to be up when you're down. Personally, I really didn't do well with Thanksgiving this year. As I'm sure you observed, I started feeling very annoyed and agitated a few days before. And then as we were watching the Macy's Day Parade... It started, this huge wave washed over me, and all I could do was cry. Personally, I've been working really hard all year to keep my emotions in check, but maybe this was the time that I needed to let go a bit and feel the emotions instead of holding them at bay. So it's easy to smile, and it's easy to say things will get better, And it's easy to be up when you're up, but the trick is to be up when you're down. So you and I, we've been working really hard on this, and (laughs) we totally overcompensated when it came to our outdoor Christmas lights. We were hoping that that would kind of bring some cheer. But I just wanted to share a few things of what I did to kind of move through all of this. So first, what I did was I embraced the sadness. I I wasn't ashamed and I wasn't shy. We shouldn't deny what we're feeling. We do need to embrace it because it's part of us and it's okay. After my cry, I drank a lot of water because I was a little bit dehydrated. So we should drink water. I was outside as much as possible this past week. Lots of fresh air, deep breaths of the nice cooler air. It was invigorating and it definitely helped me feel better. It was interesting because I found our family and friend Zoom time to make me personally feel more isolated. And so what I started doing was making phone calls, not to commiserate with anybody, but to hear voices and to catch up. And the phone just felt familiar and comfortable. And I didn't have to sit in front of the computer screen. But the phone calls, they were really fun. And many were so surprised to get the call. And that made it even better. 
The other thing that we did was we kept our meals very simple and light, and we didn't go real heavy with our Thanksgiving dinner. And I think we will continue that as the year ends. I'm also finding myself engaging in a practice of not knowing. We really don't know what this winter is going to be like, but it's okay. And it's okay not to know. And realizing that has been a tremendous help. It's hard sometimes, but it's been helpful. I often say that we need to be tender, kind, and gentle. And we do right now. But we need to be tender, kind, and gentle with and for ourselves. So I'm really careful about what movies we watch. I found some really nice music that really resonates with me. So I've been listening to that. And all of this has been very helpful. And it's going to take time, I think, to move through this. And it could be the new year. But whatever it is, it's okay. So I just want to say that my prayers are with all of you. I know that what I'm feeling, I'm not alone and I'm not the only one. And it's okay to reach out for each other and it's okay to reach out for a professional because we are in this together and again, we're not alone. So my beloved Rick, he's been tremendous help through all of this and he's always coming up with great ideas. And so we went online and got the biggest box from Amazon of all these really great, fun board games. So I look forward to doing that in the evenings. Let's love ourselves. Let's show kindness to ourselves and to others. And we can be up even when we're down. And so my word for this week is love. The L is for listen. Listen to ourselves and listen to our emotions. The O is for observe. Pay attention. Pay attention to the changes, the changes in our daily habits, the changes in how we talk to ourselves during the day. It could be a good sign that something is coming. V is for visualize. Visualize what will be and what we want our life to be. E is for embrace. Embrace who we are. There is no one like us. We are a gift to this world. So love, love, love. Do your best every day. Be kind. Be kind to yourself. Tender, gentle, and look forward to a wonderful winter. That was my wife, Jean Edelman. Thanks so much for joining us on the program today. Always a pleasure to be with you. And if we can be of help, you know how to reach us. 888-PLAN-RICK or online at rickedelman.com. And have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. See you next week. The truth about money every weekend on the Rick Edelman show.